Section 34 of Modern Magic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stacy Cologne. Modern Magic A Practical Treatise in the Art of Conjuring by Professor Lewis Hoffman. Miscellaneous Tricks. Part 1. Under this head, we propose to describe such tricks as do not come within either of the preceding categories. We shall make no attempt at classifying them, save that we shall, as far as practicable, describe the best-known and simplest feats first, and thence proceed to the more complicated. Stage tricks, i.e., tricks adapted to the stage only, will be treated in the chapter next following. We will begin with The Cut String Restored. This is a trick of such venerable antiquity that we should not have ventured to allude to it were it not that the mode of working which we are about to describe, though old in principle, is new in detail, and much superior in neatness to the generally known methods. After having offered the string, which should be about four feet in length for examination, the performer takes the ends, pointing upwards, between the first and second finger and thumb of the left hand, and the first finger and thumb of the right hand, letting the remainder of the string hang down in a loop between them. Now bringing the right hand close to the left, he draws that portion of the string which is held in the right hand toward himself between the first and second fingers of the left hand, thus crossing at right angles that end of the cord which is held in the left hand continuing to pull until half the length of the string has passed the left hand, and at the same time slipping the third finger of the left hand between the two parts of the string, which will thus be as shown in figure 152, in which, for convenience of reference, the three lines in which the string now hangs are marked A, B, and C, and one half of the string is shown black, and the other half white, though, of course, there would be no such difference of color in the original. The first finger and thumb of the right hand, still retaining the end which they already hold, sees the portion B at the point marked with that letter, the third finger of the left hand at the same time drawing back the portion A towards the palm of the hand. The string will thus be brought into the position shown in figures 153 and 154, in the latter of which for the sake of clearness, the thumbs are made transparent. The part now held horizontally between the two hands, which appears to be the middle of the string, really being only the immediate continuation of the end held in the left hand. The whole operation of arranging the string in proper position, though tedious to describe, does not take half a second in practice. The performer next requests some person to cut the string, thus arranged in half, and this being apparently done he transfers the string altogether to the right hand keeping the point of junction of the crossed pieces hidden between the finger and thumb see figure 155 he now gives either end to someone to hold and placing his open left hand near to the end thus held winds the string rapidly round it sliding off as he does so the short piece which as soon as it is clear of the longer portion he presses with his thumb between the second and third fingers of the same hand on again unwinding the string from the left hand it is found apparently whole as at first 
the principle of the trick being very generally known you will frequently find some one of the audience proclaim his acquaintance with it and declare that you have merely cut a short piece off the end of the string pardon me you reply my dear sir that method of performing the trick has long since been exploded i will at once show you that i do not make use of any such shabby expedient of course if a piece was as you suggest cut off the end the string would be that much shorter after the operation will someone be kind enough to measure it while this is being done you secretly double in a loop the little piece which was cut off on the former occasion and which has still remained in your right hand when the string is returned to you you double it in half and allow it to hang down between the first finger and thumb of the right hand drawing up immediately above it the little loop you have just formed see figure 156 you now ask someone again to cut the string which he apparently does in reality merely dividing the little loop you go through any magical gesticulations you please and ultimately again conceal the cut ends between the fingers and produce the string once more restored on being measured it is found to have lost nothing of its length the trick in the second form being performed by wholly different means the repetition will puzzle even those who knew or believed they knew the modus operandi in the first case my grandmother's necklace the trick which bears this title is also a very old one but is little known in the improved form we are about to describe in its older shape it is performed with three perforated wooden balls or beads threaded on a couple of tapes whose ends are held securely by two of the spectators the problem is to detach the beads without breaking the tapes and this is effected as follows the tapes which should be from four to six feet in length are beforehand doubled in the middle and slightly joined at the bend of each with fine cotton or silk of the same color the tapes are thus really middle to middle though to a casual observer they appear to be merely laid side by side the performer comes forward with the tapes thus prepared thrown over his left arm taking care that the point of junction shall be on the side towards his body and therefore concealed and with the beads in his hands these latter which are mere wooden balls from one to two inches in diameter perforated so as to freely admit the tapes he hands for examination when they are returned he threads them one after another upon the tapes holding the latter in a loop so that the balls may sink down to the middle and so cover the point of junction he next requests two of the company to come forward and hold the tapes and hands two ends to one and two to the other each person believes that he holds one end of each tape though in reality each has both ends of the same tape the performer now takes from each one of the ends which he holds and crossing the tapes in the manner shown in figure one fifty seven gives to each the end which the other previously held holding a hat below the balls he requests each person to pull smartly at the word three the word of command is given one two three and the thread breaking the balls fall into the hat though the ends of the tape still remain in the hands of the holders the improvement to which we have alluded consists in the use of six balls three red and three black the red balls having been first threaded on the tapes and the two ends having been crossed and returned to the holders in manner already described the black balls are in turn threaded on the tapes at either end and the performer holding the hat beneath and addressing one of the persons who hold the tapes says which will you have sir 
the red balls or the black? Whichever the answer, the result is the same, for the red balls only can come off the tapes, the black remaining still upon them. But in either case, the performer is able to satisfy the choice which has been made. If the red balls have been chosen, he says on their falling, you chose the red, I think, you see that your commands are at once obeyed. If, on the other hand, the black are chosen, the performer says, you prefer the black, then I will take the red, which he does accordingly. The audience, having heard the choice freely offered, and not being aware of the subterfuge by which the implied undertaking is fulfilled, naturally believe the performer was able to take off or leave on the tape whichever group of balls he pleased. The Bonus Genius or Vanishing Doll While upon the subject of old-fashioned tricks, we may briefly notice that known under the name of the Bonus Genius, which has puzzled many generations of our forefathers, and though now rarely exhibited by professional performers, is still a great favorite with juvenile audiences. The bonus genius is a little wooden figure of a man, four to six inches in height, and more or less grotesque in color and design. A little cloak made small above and full below, like the skirt of a doll's dress, and with no opening save where the head of the figure passes through, completes the apparatus. There are, however, two points about the doll and his cloak which are unknown to the spectators. First, the head of the doll is movable. A wooden peg forming the neck and fitting somewhat tightly into a corresponding hole in the body. Secondly, there is stitched on the inside of the cloak just below the opening for the neck a little pocket of the description known among tailors as a patch pocket, and of such a size as to contain the head easily. The performer holding up the figure and introducing it to the company as his flying messenger, warranted to outstrip the electric telegraph covers it with a cloak, so that nothing but the head is seen. Grasping the figure under the cloak with his right hand, the performer holds a burlesque conversation with him, finally entrusting him with a message to be immediately delivered to the President of the United States, the Shah, or any other individual at a distance. The figure does not move. Well, sir, are you not going? asks the performer. The figure shakes his head from side to side, an effect easily produced by turning the body backwards and forwards under the cloak. You won't, eh? Why not? I should like to know. Oh, I see what you mean. I haven't given you your traveling expenses. As he says the last words, he grasps the figure and cloak from the outside round the neck with the left hand and draws away the right from beneath the cloak secretly carrying with it the body and putting his hand in his pocket as though in search of money he leaves the body of the figure in his pocket and brings out the hand again empty but in the position of holding a coin between the finger and thumb there sir he says there is a shilling for you making the gesture of giving it you don't see the coin ladies and gentlemen but the fact is what I have just given him is fairy money. The weight of the ordinary coinage would interfere with the rapidity of his flight. Now, sir, make haste. You have nothing to wait for now. The performer has, meanwhile, again put the right hand under the cloak, and with two fingers holds the little pocket open for the reception of the head. As he says the last words, he gives the head a sharp downward rap with the fingers of the left hand, and lets it fall into the little pocket the effect being as if the figure has suddenly vanished. The performer shakes the cloak and turns it inside out to show that it is empty, taking care always to grasp it by that part which contains the head. 
when all other portions of the cloak may be shown freely and as the audience are not aware that the figure is divisible and supposing it to be indivisible it would be clearly much too large to be concealed in the closed hand there is nothing to lead them to guess the secret if it is desired to make the doll reappear the head is pushed up again through the opening of the cloak the hand beneath supporting it by the peg which forms the neck and it may thus be made to vanish and return any number of times with tolerable skill in palming the little pocket may be dispensed with the head being simply held in the hand this mode of working is in our own opinion to be preferred as the cloak may then be handed for examination without giving even the infinitesimal clue which the pocket might suggest some performers to still further hoodwink the spectators make use of two figures the first which is handed round for inspection being solid and being afterwards secretly changed for its counterpart with a movable head others again use only one figure which is solid throughout but are provided with a separate head whose existence is of course not suspected by the spectators and having handed round the solid figure for examination conceal this and work the trick with the head only the dancing sailor the dancing sailor is a figure cut out of cardboard eight or nine inches in height and with its arms and legs cut out separately and attached to the trunk with thread in such a manner as to hang perfectly free the mode of exhibiting it is as follows the performer taking a seat facing the company with his legs slightly apart places the figure on the ground between them as might be expected it falls flat and lifeless but after a few mesmeric passes it is induced to stand upright though without visible support and on a lively piece of music being played dances to it keeping time and ceasing as soon as the music ceases the secret lies in the fact that from leg to leg of the performer at about the height of the figure from the ground is fixed generally by means of a couple of bent pins a fine black silk thread of eighteen or twenty inches in length this allows him to move about without any hindrance on each side of the head of the figure is a little slanting cut tending in a perpendicular direction and about half an inch in length the divided portions of the cardboard are bent back a little thus forming two hooks so to speak at the sides of the head when the performer takes his seat as before mentioned the separation of his legs draws the silk comparatively taut though against a moderately dark background it remains wholly invisible when he first places the figure on the ground he does so simply and the figure naturally falls he makes a few sham mesmeric passes over it but still it falls at the third or fourth attempt however he places it so that the little hooks already mentioned just catch the thread see figure one fifty eight showing the arrangement of the head and the figure is thus kept upright when the music commences the smallest motion or pretense of keeping time with the feet is enough to start the sailor in a vigorous hornpipe the bottle imps these are miniature black bottles about two inches in height with rounded bottoms and so weighted that like tumbler dolls they rise of their own accord to the perpendicular and will not rest in any other position the proprietor however has a charm by which he is able to conquer their obstinate uprightness for him and for him only they will consent to be laid down and even to stand at an angle of forty-five degrees though they again rebel if any other person attempts to make them do the same the little bottles are made of paper mache 
or some other very light material, varnished black, the bottom of each being a half-bullet, spherical side downwards. The center of gravity is therefore at the bottom of the bottle, which is thus compelled always to stand upright. The performer, however, is provided with one or two little pieces of iron wire, of such a size and length, as just to slip easily into the bottle, one of these being held concealed between the finger and thumb. It is a very easy matter in picking up the bottle to slip it in, and the slight additional weight neutralizing the effect of the half bullet at the foot causes the bottle to lie still in any position. Having shown that the bottle is obedient to the word of command, the performer again picks it up with the neck between the first and second fingers and thumb carelessly turning it bottom upwards and thus allowing the bit of wire to slip out again into the palm of his hand. When he is able to again tender the bottle for experiment, partaking of the nature of a puzzle as well as a conjuring trick, this little toy has amused thousands, and if neatly manipulated, may be repeatedly exhibited even before the same spectators with little fear of detection. The Vanishing Gloves this is a capital trick with which to commence an entertainment. When coming as it should do, unannounced, and before the performance proper has commenced, it has an air of improvisation which greatly enhances its effect, and at once awakens the attention of the audience. The performer comes forward in full evening dress, while saying a few words by way of introduction to his entertainment. He begins to take off his gloves, commencing with that on his right hand. As soon as it is fairly off, he takes it in the right hand, waves the hand with a careless gesture, and the glove is gone. He begins to take off the other, walking as he does so behind his table, whereupon his wand is laid. The left-hand glove being removed is rolled up into a ball and transferred from the right hand to the left, which is immediately closed. The right hand picks up the wand and with it touches the left which being slowly opened, the second glove is found to have also disappeared. The disappearance of the first glove is effected by means of a piece of cord elastic attached to the back of the waistcoat, and thence passing down the sleeve. This should be of such a length as to allow the glove to be drawn down and put on the hand, and yet to pull it smartly up the sleeve and out of sight when released. It is desirable to have a hem round the wrist of the glove, and to pass the elastic through this like the cord of a bag, as it thereby draws the wrist portion of the glove together, and causes it to offer less hindrance to its passage up the sleeve. Upon taking off the glove, the performer retains it in his hand, and lets it go when he pleases. He must, however, take care to straighten his arm before letting it slip, as otherwise the elastic will remain comparatively slack, and the glove will, instead of disappearing with a flash, dangle ignominiously from the coat cuff. The left-hand glove is got rid of by palming. The performer standing behind his table is already mentioned, rolling the glove between his hands and quickly twisting the fingers inside so as to bring it into a more manageable form, pretends to place it in his left hand, but really palms it in his right. He now lowers the right hand to pick up his wand, and as the hand reaches the table, drops the glove on the servant. He now touches the left hand with the wand, in due course opening the hand and showing that the glove has departed. Some performers vanish both gloves by means of elastic, one up the right sleeve, the other up the left, 
but in doing so they offend against one of the cardinal precepts of the art viz never to perform the same trick twice in succession by the same means the audience having seen the manner of the first disappearance are all on the alert and are not unlikely on the second occasion to guess the means employed if on the other hand the performer adopts the plan indicated above the two modes of producing the effect being different each renders it more difficult to discover the secret of the other end of section thirty four